there are lots of lousy businesses, and there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio from the Global News Radio Studios in Toronto with Hi-Fi Portfolio Managers. Here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Well, good morning and welcome back to the show about money, Hi-Fi Radio. Indeed, it's not just about money, it's about taxes, it's about markets, it's about bonds, stocks, currencies, international, domestic, marijuana every now and then. Um, <laughs> and today we're going to speak with a gentleman, Patrick. Uh, he's a founder and chief derivative market strategist at Big Picture Trading. Um, basically, he's a derivative trader, an option trader, uh, and uh, that's a whole other, shall I say, kettle of fish. Um, you may have uh, heard the phrase, the VIX. Uh, it's really a, a measure of volatility and risk in the marketplace, and uh, the VIX has been uh, uh, taken off recently as the market has been imploding, and uh, the, riff, the, the VIX itself gets its valuation derived from the price of puts and calls, which are options to buy and options to sell. Well, puts are options to sell, calls are options to buy. Uh, oh, I know it's confusing. It's early in the morning, my good friend. So get yourself a cup of coffee, wake up. We're going to try to teach you something here. So, Patrick, I want to thank you very much for coming into the show here. Um, we, we're going to have to work real hard not to confuse the audience uh, so early in the morning here. And the fact that you're the chief derivative market strategist tell, tells me you got yourself a pretty big brain at Big Picture Trading <laughs> Inc. Uh, so um, the market has been uh, confusing, uh, I shall say. Uh, that, that, that seems to be the phrase uh, when I speak with various participants and what uh, what they're making of the market, because the market is telling us one thing, i.e. lower. Uh, the economic data is telling us something quite different, i.e. no recession. Um, so please, from, from, from your lens, uh, what do you see taking place in this market? Well, I think there are certain things that are starting to signal the end of uh, cycle dynamics that uh, we see the a lot of the bond markets starting to slowly advertise that uh, the Fed and the Bank of Canada are very close to the end of cycle. We just uh, actually just yesterday and today we've seen for the first time uh, yield curve inversion. Now for those listeners that uh, are not familiar with that, the easiest way to describe it is if we were looking at a yield curve on mortgages, it would be the equivalent of, let's say, a two-year mortgage uh, being a higher price than a five-year mortgage. Mm -hmm. And so what we're looking at this in government bonds, and we've seen both uh, right after the Bank of Canada statement and uh, uh, that both the Canadian oh, uh, twos and fives inverted as well as the twos and fives in the U.S. So often... The last time in Canada we saw a yield curve inversion was in uh, 2007, and that preceded a recession. Now, that doesn't guarantee a recession. I'm not trying to say that that's money in the bank, but uh, there are a lot of uh, the bond market is starting to signal that they're being concerned about the slowing growth, particularly globally. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Jack, you, you're on the phone with Brian Reynolds. Uh, Brian Reynolds is, one, is our credit manager at Canaccord, or credit strategist, uh, credit analyst. Um, and he's paying a lot of attention to the amount of debt issuance and share buybacks um, and uh, leverage loans and, and pension funds, yes. uh, buy, buying bonds in, in, in large amounts. And he stated what, Jack, in terms of curve inversion. Again, we're getting things complicated, but it has to right. be discussed. Again, repeat, when curve inversion means when short-term interest rates are higher than long-term interest rates. Usually what that spells is the central bank wants to slow down the economy because inflation is running out of control. 
curve inversion puts you into a recession. And so that's why it is so important to watch the yield curve. And the average person doesn't watch the yield curve. Yeah. The average broadcaster never talks about bonds in this, yeah. in, in this world. It's always <laughs> talking about stocks. Uh, so we're talking today about bonds. We're talking about derivatives. So it's, it's, it's a different right. show for sure. But Brian was talking about uh, throughout this cycle, he said there have been 12 times where the parts of the curve have inverted right. uh, in the U.S. And we're talking about the, the two and five year inverting yes. right now it's uh, the, the, the shorter signal, end of the yeah curve. the signal that people look for recession and again it's no guarantee that there is a recession and typically when the curve does invert a uh, recession doesn't happen until another 18 to 20 months um is the two and 10 year uh which is still it's very, it's very flat but it's positively slow there's right. about 10 basis points of spread there well, absolutely there's all sorts of ways that this can play out the one uh the theory that i have is is that a lot of um uh, our analysts are focusing on the uh, Canadian and U.S. economies. Uh, my concern is that we are seeing a very strong global economic slowdown. One of my narratives is that the um, that we're, this time around we're going to see the reciprocal of 2007-2008 because back then the problem originated in the U.S. through subprime. And uh, and then it spilled like a contagion to the rest of the world. But the, uh, we've just now seen uh, the German stock market uh, fall into bear market territory, down 20%. We see the Italian stock market down 28%. We see uh, the Chinese stock market down something like 28%. We're seeing a global economic slowdown abroad. And we have North America trugging along strong. And one of the concerns I have is that if we have a global economic slowdown, will that do the reciprocal and, and come and slow down North America quicker than it would be if we were just looking at it in isolation? And that's sort of what my eyes are on. It's no guarantees that there is going to be anything, but uh, that's what I'm watching. It's kind of ironic because we started off this year, everyone was talking about the global synchronous growth, meaning that <laughs> yeah. everyone globally was, was growing uh, at the time. That's what everyone was talking about, and they talked about late cyclicals being the trade that you wanted to have the banks um, the, the materials yep. yeah. all those stocks uh, have underperformed this and year and stopped working absolutely it stopped working the Bro sorry win studio here with patrick saresna uh, he's the chief derivative market strategist at big picture trading uh, we're taking a very different view this morning on hi-fi radio uh, when we're discussing market action we're talking about bonds we're talking about uh, derivatives uh and we're talking obviously about future direction of the market boy <laughs> we'll see if we get that one right uh, stay, stay tuned friends we're gonna pay some bills and get right back to you don't go anywhere there's more great show after this you're listening to hi-fi radio from global news radio 640 toronto Welcome back to the show, Hi-Fi Radio. Tis a show about money, money, money. And you hear the cash register ring. And I'm not hearing the cash register ring on Bay Street and Wall Street this year. Uh, not bye-bye cash register. It's basically been a, a forgotten year, 2018. But it, uh, it's in all asset classes, Wolf. Too. Everything. It's not everything. just equities. Fixed income's been challenged. 90% of asset classes are down on the year. 90% of asset, which means basically stocks and bonds, you're not making money. Cash. Well, I guess cash is king. Right. <laughs> um, nowhere to hide is what it's telling you, right? Even gold's down. You talk about uh, a safe haven. Uh, uh, well, I know my real estate. I know my, my personal real estate holdings are down. My house, in other words, it is down in value. There's no question about that. Um, so, But we don't price and mark to mark our house every day. If we, 
I really wish we, we would. <laughs> uh, no, I really wish we would. I really wish they would tell us what, what our house is worth today. Because uh, oh, my house is safe. It doesn't change price. Yeah, right. It doesn't change. Try to sell your house right here, right now, today, and, and tell me what the price is. And it'll be a discount to what you think it's worth. I guarantee it. And but I, that, that's I, the, I think the point is, though, too, if things are down like this, there must be opportunity out there, right? When things are down, it means that prices are reflecting a lot of pessimism. If things get moderately better, then maybe there's opportunity. Well, we're in studio with Patrick Ceresna. He's the founder and chief derivative market strategist at Big Picture Trading. Uh, so, Patrick, uh, did, I read recently that, that, that 2018 is turning out to be a year like 1972, uh, where the markets are volatile, uh, end to end, uh, it's a zero-sum game. So do you think you make any money in this market? Because uh, certainly a lot of things aren't working. Uh, so do you buy more of that which is not working, or do you take change strategy? And I think the latter is the answer. Well, what's interesting is that there are parts of the market that are getting uh, some of the money flow. And what we have seen is a, a big rotation. One of the big legacy uh, trade positions for the last two years during the flattening curve has been long growth, short value. And uh, a lot of momentum stocks were working incredibly well. And uh, as traders are unwinding that legacy positioning, uh, we are now seeing that a lot of uh, value names and a lot of the defensive names, uh, you know, consumer staples, uh, a lot of the utility names, uh, and even some telecoms like BCE are all uh, actually doing okay in this environment. So I don't know whether that makes them great opportunities on the upside, but certainly that is a place to be defensive. Uh, another thing that I'm watching is, is that uh, even though in the last couple of years, uh, there's been a lot of people that have been putting a lot of hate onto owning government bonds, particularly U.S. Treasuries and things like that. But generally, uh, if uh, there is any if sign of an economic slowdown, the central banks will pause and uh, the inflation expectations curtail, disinflationary pressures may start to emerge. In that period, having safe haven in government bonds, it may actually be a place where you'll find a little bit of safe haven, even though it hasn't really been a great place for the last two years. Well, no, but the, well, the government bond market just woke up. Yes. Because uh, last week we spoke on this very show how governments did not rally when the market was still weak. Remember that, Jack? You pointed that point out. You said the, the treasurer or the... Uh, Corporates continue to do well. Right. Through, uh, throughout the year, uh, yields were rising, meaning we, bonds were down. You've got the, the reverse of that in the last week. And the last just, week. And so you've got the reverse of the curve. I, yes. I, I'm very concerned about uh, corporate credit uh, in particular. We've seen the um, the high yield credit spreads actually for the, reach now a two-year high, uh, just surpassing four, 400 basis points. Uh, that's a sign that uh, the um, at least the low-grade uh, bonds are actually out of favor at this moment. And I think that uh, people are increasing the quality of the type of bonds they own. This is, I think this is where owning high-quality governments may be a safe haven. I don't know how well they'll perform per se in terms of upside, but I think there's a, they're a very defensive asset at this moment where you could pick up yield. Well, again, they've worked for the last couple of days, but the yield now is 2.9%. Tell me something, 2019, what's your call for the equity market, the stock market? Uh, I, uh, I believe uh, I'm in the camp where <laughs> I think that the, uh, there's a good chance that we're in a bear market. And, uh, and while I don't necessarily think it has to be a very ugly one, 
per se on the downside. I just think that it's going to be a period where there's a lot of things that are struggling, and I don't think it improves uh, at, like as of the first quarter. I think the first half of the year you've got to play defense. You know, there's that old saying that in a in a bear market, the one who loses the least is the winner. Without and, question. Uh, and so we're we're really about how do you, how do you own the right defensive assets in this period? Because if you're positioned well, there's going to be compelling buying opportunities that will emerge on the other side of that. And so we're playing defense into the new year. You are. And well, I spoke with Martin Reberge. Our, our, we have a couple of strategies at Canaccord. Fortunately, and one's our North American strategy is Martin Reberge. And I spoke with him, I think it was last Thursday or Friday, Jack, a long conference with him. Um, was there a day off last week? Uh, there was, I think, the U.S. holiday for Thanksgiving. You were right. talking to him. That's yeah. when I spoke with him on U.S. Thanksgiving. And he said just exactly what you're saying. He said, use uh, any strength to unload some of your momentum stocks and go defensive. And so he spoke about the REITs. And the REITs are actually looking pretty yes. good. And again, we're, we're worried about the interest rates rising, hurting REITs. But in fact, the 10-year falling actually is helping the REITs, correct? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. yeah. And then you have the utility sector, which I think is expensive, egregious. Especially but- in Canada, they've levered up to pay out those dividends. You talk about some of the pipelines, some of the telcos. Um, they're, def- they're traditionally defensive plays because of their yield, but they do have a lot of debt on those balance sheets. And that's one of the things Patrick mentioned earlier. Yeah, but, but, then, we, but then we have the the staples, the, the food stocks, 20 some odd times earnings. They're expensive. There's they're, no, they're there's expensive. No, but if you're trying to, as if you're a money manager and you need to be invested and you're trying to reduce the beta exposure of your portfolio and you're trying to do some uh, rotation in there, uh, you have to sell those high beta names and you're replacing it with what? And even though those uh, sectors are rather expensive. They're getting their fair share money flow as as uh, many money managers are rebalancing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. An, an interesting group was that uh, the group that was being Amazon. We talked about that earlier. I guess it was probably last year. Mm-hmm. All these companies that were getting disrupted by Amazon. But now you flip it on its head. You talk about rotation from growth to value. You talk about O'Reilly, the, the auto parts, yep. the AutoZone, even Cisco the, was being Amazon. Well, even and, and the United Health of the world. The, right. So you know, all, the, the, all those names are the the more either. Garpy or value type names that you see money flowing into right now. On a final note, what do you think of healthcare? Real quick, uh, I actually uh, like it now. I've I've been long healthcare for uh, for definitely a couple of months. It's uh, they've had a huge run. So we one of the things we do with options is we uh, lock in advances by buying things like protective puts. So while I'm along the healthcare sector, uh, I'm locking in with uh, uh, the gains that I've been making at this stage on a lot of the names. So it, spending a little bit of the profits I've made by buying the protection. So you're buying them. you're buying yourself some insurance on the yeah. downside. Yeah, interesting. But uh, still Pat- long, Patrick. Really Real, real pleasure having you in the studio. We're gonna have to do this again. Uh, Patrick Saracena, uh, founder of Chief Derivative, excuse me, founder and chief derivative market strategist at Big Picture Trading. Uh, you have a website, I assume? Absolutely, bigpicturetrading.com. Uh, bigpicturetrading.com. Is this a subscription service or absolutely? Pre-trade? It's a subscription service. Yes. How much is it? Uh, it's uh, ninety nine dollars a month. Ninety nine dollars a month, and from that you get in the. We, we, what we what? do is we give all of our uh, alerts, uh, serve, and we also analyze the markets, forecast directions of, and discuss where the big opportunities are. Interesting. We have to uh, take a look at the uh, subscription there, Jack. See if it fits in our budget. Ninety-nine buck a month. <laughs> uh, real pleasure once again, Patrick Seresna, Chief Derivative Market Strategist at Big Picture Trading. It's all about options and choices in life, my good friends. On Hi-Fi Radio, right after this. Money. Let's take a break. But after, Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, six forty Toronto. 
Come and listen to my story about a man named Jed. A poor mountaineer barely kept his family fed. And then one day he was shooting at some food. And up through the ground come a bubbling crude. Oil, that is. Black gold. Texas tea. I wonder if it still is Texas tea. Eh? Hey, Simon uh, Ackett, uh, Canaccord Genuity, Managing Director, Global Head of Energy Sales. That's a long title you got there, pal. But you're a good guy. Welcome back to Hi-Fi Radio, Simon. Thank you very much, guys. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. So uh, you and Jack had uh, lunch with Rafi yesterday. Uh, I saw Rafi on BNN, and uh, Rafi was um, ranting on about all the world's problems and Canada's problems with respect to energy policy and how we're missing the mark. Uh, and we're getting gypped on our oil. And I've been talking about those oil differentials on my daily market wrap I do and radio stations throughout the province, shall I say. And uh, you know, just to remind our listener that uh, Canadian crude uh, is stinky poo uh, in that we have too much of it, about 35 million barrels in storage. And the Americans are, uh, well, we are price takers and we're getting as little as, or we have received as little as $15 a barrel uh, when the stuff's trading fifty dollars uh, uh, West Texas, sixty dollars Brent, uh, our Canadian select not so select. It's at the back of the shelf, I guess. Eh? So Simon, how long can this go on for? How long can our producers sell crude at fifteen or yeah, they had well, it popped you, to twenty-two dollars a barrel? That is not sustainable business. Well, let's let's start by saying what what Notley did on the weekend is helpful. Sure. The differential, the, the price that Canadians get relative to the market price is closing. So it's working. So she's actually, you know, we made some strides. We're not all the way, but, you know, we slowly made some strides. And you saw, so you, so you, what, you, they, you, what they did, what yep. they did was a self-imposed production cut. And I think it was, was it 300,000 barrels? 325,000 barrels per bar- day. Yeah, plus, plus you went out and bought some railway cars. Choo-choo. I don't, so, so what about the railway no, but car in, in, in business, you want to sell more. You don't want self-imposed production cuts. So although <laughs> it got the price up. You do want to sell more of your goods. You want to be able to get them to market. And right now, Canada can't do it. We're doing it by train, like you said. And it's not an efficient way. It's not economical. And environmentalists, it's not very good for the environment either. Running trains. So, so Simon, well, let's, let's talk about those rail cars. So uh, did the province physically go out and purchase railway cars? And I thought those things belonged to CP and CN, the railway well, companies. Uh, well, they're going to finance um, 80 of these rail cars over the coming years to help with the problem. Now, they did this before they did the self-imposed cuts. So, in our view, the differential is probably going to go to something what it costs to move something on rail. Well, that's what it should be. That's exactly what it should be, isn't it? it? Yes, until we get a bigger fix, which is pipelines, but that is three to five years away. Yeah. So when, the, when, the, when the foreigners, and I spend a lot of time talking to accounts in Europe and the U.S., when they look at Canada, okay. one word comes to mind, and that's meddling. The government is meddling. And it's it's causing a lot of foreign investment to hesitate as they decide where to put an incremental oil dollar. So, you know, I've been telling clients that, you know, these three pillars that we went into earlier this year, one is own oil over gas, and now I'm getting a little more constructive on gas, but early in the year it was oil, uh, light over heavy, and that's, you know, worked really well at the beginning of the year. And now I still carry on with this third pillar of owning non-Canadian assets at this exact moment. Rathi was... You know, from Canoe was kind of, you know, resonated. You know, his comments were exactly the same as mine. He felt that, you know, Canada had regressed a little bit in where they were in the energy life cycle. I believe that owning, you know, 
Canadian listed names with assets outside of Canada that are getting some Canadian valuation discounts are the real opportunity. Yeah, yeah. I was at our at our lunch yesterday. They were talking about favorable governments towards uh, oil and business. And Colombia at the moment, uh, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure if it was Rafi or you, Simon, said that the, the globally the Colombian government is more favorable to, to business and oil than Canada. I mean, we had this debate that they were, you know, on the margin is Colombia with the new government that came into place recently more. Um, more open to oil investment than Canada, and we debated that. We both kind of came to the conclusion that they probably were on margin at the moment. So we love Parex, we love Grand Tierra, and on the value side, we love a company called Frontera. Those are all names that get you access to a different market that has no egress issues. No. They're getting... They're getting a premium to WTI in that market. Let's just talk about some of the problem areas of the market because Rafi again spoke about names to just completely stay away from. And they, I, I see some value traps out there and people saying, gee, th- this thing is just too cheap. I have to buy it. Rafi thinks stay away because you could be uh, ending up with a very, very, well, uh, non-negotiable asset in other words. So, so Simon, please t- tell us, what are the areas we need to stay away from? What are the names that you just completely avoid? Well, I, I would start by saying that, um, you know, every, everything has its price, and, and as these valuations drop further and further, it's becoming irres- irresistible to own some of these names. Uh, you know, we believe that owning uh, Saskatchewan uh, over Alberta uh, at this time, like our research has written a lot about that in terms of the ro- difference in royalty structures and the, um, the difference in, uh, you know, curtailments. Saskatchewan has no Cotramlets, and Alberta has a bunch of them. So those provinces are somewhat different, and they didn't get as big a discount on their oil to start with because they were selling it to different markets. So in that market, we like Torque and Whitecap and Crestmoy. Those are all there. Our topic is, is Torque, oil and gas, ticker TOG. Yeah. Now, the services are something where we're getting a lot of debate. People aren't going to exit the service space altogether, but they're going to be high-grading. And they're going to be owning less service names next year than they do today. Yeah. And the reason for that is, just like you saw with C&Q yesterday, they're dropping their drilling budget, as it stands right now, to 95 wells in 2019. As opposed that's to? From 500, that's 500 they're going to drill this year. Yeah. And in a normalized environment, we set at certain differentials, they were going to drill almost 300 wells. So we're seeing a massive curtailment in activity. I personally think CNQ sending a very clear signal to the government. Change needs to happen very quickly. They've obviously heard that, um, and as a result, you know the service companies in the short term are probably going to take a hit in Canada. Uh-huh. I, I think the I think the U.S. service business looks really rosy in the second half of 2019, simply because all the egress issues, all the pipeline you know, curtailments or, or lack of pipeline in, in the U.S. will be solved in the second half of 19, and then we're going to see activity go through the roof, particularly in the Permian. So generally speaking, I do like select um, Canadian service names, but you're going to see high grading. Interesting. You're not going to own as many service names today or next year as you do today. Yeah, well, that is echo what Rafi said. Uh, we're talking oil. We're speaking with Canaccord Genuity's Managing Director and Global Head of Energy Sales. Sits on the oil trading desk there, Canaccord. Probably a slippery place to hang out, I would have to say. Simon Ackett is the man. Uh, and we're going to get right back with Simon Ackett right after this. Listen, we're going to take a break. But when we come back, more money talk. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Love that cowbell. It is all about the cowbell. Simon Ackett, 
Kanika Genuity's managing director, global head of energy sales. Yes, don't fear the reaper. Although our last uh, uh, guest, uh, Patrick Suresna, he's a uh, an options trader. Uh, I think he's fearing the reaper, and he, he said, "Get defensive." Um, getting defensive means don't own oil. Uh, don't, don't own, own cyclicals. Don't, don't own cyclicals. Um, so Simon, uh, I'm underweight oil. Thank goodness. I wish I had zero oil on my books. The TSC, the index itself is still 20%, 20, 20% yeah. energy. And that's why you're seeing the TSX lag global markets. It's a tough space, man. Uh, and again, we're probably um, uh, myopic toward, towards what's going on in energy as we on Bay Street and in Canada aren't getting a true global sense of energy supply and demand. In other words, in Europe, uh, Europeans pay such high prices for both nat gas and for oil. I think they respect a barrel a lot more than we respect a barrel here in Canada. I want to start with Simon. How many barrels of crude uh, are we now producing in Canada? I know some reaching 2 million and 4 million, but that's a big delta. So what are we doing today? Um, today, I think we're, uh, let me get you the exact number, but I think it's around, uh, tw- uh, let me get you the number. Hold on. Yeah. Yeah, Simon Aki is going to dig through uh, his files there. Tell us how many barrels of food. Uh, he's there sure, counting rings. Sure, he's he's, he's, he's counting barrels as far as there. Go ahead. Wait, what's the number there, Simon? Um, hold on. Mm-hmm. The, the other thing that I just wanted to mention there, Simon in the last segment was talking about the, the price of some of these oil stocks. And price does matter. Uh, so if you're buying an asset class that is way out of favor, uh, you're getting it on the cheap. And then some investors certainly are going to be you know, drawn to that and then hold it through this issues obviously the uh, the pipeline issues that we're having and hopefully come out the other side uh rafi thinks it's gonna be a long long time before we actually get a recovery in some of these canadian names. so so, so, the big, so, the, so buyer beware there i guess the, the big question we have for simon right now is how many barrels of crude does canada produce a day it, the, wor- it, it, the world it, it, the world consumes it, by the way over, yeah it, it's just over it's just over three million barrels a day yes yeah, so I, I said somewhere between two and four i was right down the middle so, so we're, we're three million barrels a day hold on so three million barrels a day so so the 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 premier Basie has, has asked Alberta it's cut 10%, to cut 10% correct. of Canada's production, her province alone. Is that correct? Basie, Alberta only cut 10%, cut 300,000. Right. It's, yeah. it's just a hair over 300,000 barrels, so it'll take us yeah. just under 3 million barrels. But remember, with all the new additions that we have coming online, like all the big oil sands projects, including you know, C&Q suggesting they can produce... Uh, a million barrels just from their oil sands projects. Right. We could get, we could double production to like almost seven million barrels before 2030. Like so, so, so Canada could, Canada could do seven million barrels at 20, by by 2030. You believe? Mostly coming from the oil sands. So from the oil sands, the yeah. Barrels. Yeah, wow. Right. So the world consumes a hundred million barrels. Uh, and how, how many barrels, Simon? How many barrels can we freely move? Or in other words, what's our capacity to ship? Well, our capa- we shouldn't look at a capacity ship. We should look at the capacity that can't be shipped, and and that's somewhere in the order of, you know, three hundred and fifty thousand barrels right now, which is why they kind of picked yeah. that number. So, so we we can effectively move ninety percent of the stuff that we produce, and the other ten percent, right. the other ten percent is getting that marginal price of almost zero. Um, in terms of storage, uh, Canada's storing thirty-five million barrels of crude. Uh, that sounds to me like about uh, fifth, ten days of production. This is not that bad. Ten days of production we store, eh? Is is that normal? Uh, yeah, that's then that's that's about right. It's a little high right now because we haven't been able to get all our crude out. Yeah. Um, some of the refineries, like the big Whiting refinery that BP owns in the U.S., has been down. This is normal maintenance time. After a busy summer, they go down. There's maintenance, and they're not taking our crude. So we build up some crude. It just happens to be like a perfect storm. Demand dropped a little bit. 
refiners went down and we had a very big surplus very quickly. You know, Rafi speaks about the cycle. He says Canada's going to miss this cycle. We may catch the next cycle. Um, tell me something, this, this energy cycle, is there like an end date to it, like a recession? Is that what, was that, what puts an end to an energy cycle and what, be, what, what puts a beginning to an energy cycle? Can you explain that to us? Well, what will happen is you'll start to see the, the majors globally start to underspend. And as they underspend, uh, you know, we, we start to run out of incremental barrels that we can bring on, which, you know, challenges the supply side of the equation, and then we get a ramp up in activity, right? So global conventional discoveries, you know, we were going through some lunch yesterday, have, have dropped off considerably. You know, I'm going to quote a number here from Canoe. They're saying that, you know, total number of barrels found in 17 were 6 million barrels, down from 30 million barrels, let's say, in, you know, 2012. So we're finding less barrels because people are spending less because oil prices are down. Yep. That triggers that triggers activity. Yep. What triggers Canada globally is our valuations. Like at some point we start to see these cycles where the U.S. valuations jump, Canada lags. Everyone says, "Wait a sec, I can buy the same type of oil and gas company in Canada at half the valuation," and they buy Canada. Yeah. And so and, and so when do you think that's going to wake up and, and come our way? I um, buy Canada. Uh, I I, th- I think we're let's put it this way I think we're near the bottom I think that you know Canada you know with that term I used before some meddling from the government um, is going to put us back a little bit but generally speaking we're you know we're behind the U S and you know if we get some stabilization in the oil price after uh, after we get OPEC behind us here tomorrow then I think we're going to be right behind the U S can I time that exactly no sometime in nineteen yeah sometime that's that won't be that bad. It's only a year away. All we have to do is extend our time horizon a little bit, my good friend, and uh, things work out. The short, the short term is very, very painful right now for all of us. It doesn't matter what you own. Oil, nat gas, tech stocks, you name it, it ain't working. A few, a few uh, utilities and the REITs may be working right now. now. That's about it. You were, asking, you were asking, well, gang, what needs to happen? I think there needs to be some M&A. I think we need to have uh, larger companies that provide bigger liquidity and can compete on the global scale more effectively, mm-hmm. on the global market more effectively. So there's some obviously natural ones that should come together. I won't suggest them on this call, but generally speaking, we need some M&A in the cycle. And I spoke at length with Rafi about that yesterday from Canoe, and we were you know, debating which names made sense. But generally speaking, there should be some M&A in the cycle. Make, makes sense. That's usually what happens when you get into, into any kind of a weak environment. Uh, exactly. the, the, the strong do get stronger, and the weak get, uh, well, gobbled up. Uh, Simon Ackett, uh, Managing Director, Global Head of Energy Sales with Canaccord Genuity. It's a treat to have you on the show. I appreciate your wisdom. As always, I want to wish you a great weekend. Simon. Thank you very much, guys. You're welcome. Uh, We will be speaking Financial Planning 101. If you're a millennial and you're starting out, we're going to walk you through what to do with Brittany the Butcher right after this. Making money is the best. So how do you make more money? Come on back after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. You know, I wonder if the millennials feel that way. Eh? People just putting them down all the time. Uh, Every generation has its challenges, I think, Wolf. I guess they do. Yeah, and they rise up to them. Yeah. 
Rise up, rise up. You know, I'll tell you the biggest challenge I see certainly um, is the price of real estate. Uh, I have young children. Jack, you have young children. And I don't know how they're going to buy a place to live. So uh, we're going to help millennials out uh, on Hi-Fi Radio right here, right now. Uh, pay attention. If you have a millennial that's in bed, get them out of it. Uh, bring them downstairs. Help them listen to this show. It's going to be powerful. We're going to help them get out of your home. Yes, what you want is your millennial to move out one day. Well, we have to help plan financially for this. They don't teach it in school. Uh, they're, they're starting now, Wolf. Yeah, grade 10. Are they? Grade 10. I think they've got a uh, a new project going. I think it's starting this year, actually. It's going to be part of the provincial curriculum? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, they just started it. Very good. Well, let's bring you in as a guest speaker. But I've done that before. I've gone to schools and spoken with students. They, their eyes glaze and look at the I think it's a pilot project for the time being, but I'm sure it'll, uh, you know, uh, work out and, uh, you know, be, be very valuable for some of these, for the next generation. I learned this stuff at the kitchen table with my parents, um, watching them scrimp and save and put money aside and, yep. Yep, sacrifices, lots of them, and uh, you pay the price every now and then for some of those sacrifices that come your way. But that's but you, again, it's, it's thinking longer term, right? Teaching your kids to to look past the next day. We're talking about how challenging the markets are right now, but if you look, you know, five, ten years from now, the the stuff that you own most likely will be higher because economies will grow. So uh, just off here, we're talking with our producer Brittany, uh, very very fine producer operating the boards. Um, who's a millennial, and uh, hey, welcome to the show, Brittany. Thank you for having me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course, you make us sound, well, as we sound, and I thank you for that. Uh, so, Brittany, uh, you are going to be getting married uh, soon. Yes, uh, You are a millennial in your 20s? Yep, I'll uh, be 25 in February. Wow, so young. Mm-hmm. And you work two jobs. I do. Um, that's impressive. Uh, full-time, of course. No, I'm part-time here at the radio station, and then I work full-time at a well-known grocery store. Mm-hmm, well-known grocery store. Yeah. Very good. Uh, so, you uh, let's let's start with the beginning here. You're going to get married. Um, weddings are expensive. Uh, you know, you don't really think about financial planning just yet. But once you are married, uh, you're going to start to think about financial planning. So, uh, let's start with what should you do if you're about to get married. So, Jack and I are just going to go back and forth here and uh, throw different ideas to you. Um, I guess the first thing you have to do is have yourself a little nest egg collectively, right, to save for that first little uh, home purchase, right? A little yep. money aside for the home purchase, eh? Uh, best way to do that is, of course, monthly savings. Every month, take money out of your bank account and have it go into a separate savings account. And that's where I think a tax-free savings account is a good vehicle to use. Uh, the other thing, Brittany, that you're going to have to do here, and this is the, the one that you're going to find challenging, is um, reduce your most ex- biggest expense that you have living in Canada. And I'm going to ask you a trick question here, Brittany. What do you think your biggest expense in Canada is? My rent. <laughs> well, that's it, a big one. Yeah. It, it is a big one. It is a big one. It, uh, a bigger one will be rearing kids. Uh, unless you're rearing them. If I have them. <laughs> <who knows>? <laughs> <laughs> yes, rearing, rearing kids is very, very expensive if you have them is right. Uh, but your, your biggest expense in life, in fact, is taxes. Uh, oh, we, we, we Canadians pay so much in tax. I encourage every Canadian to take a look at your last pay step at the end of the year. Take a look at what your gross income was. Take a look at how much federal and how much all-in taxes you paid uh, before deductions. And, and know that number. You need to know how much you're giving to the government to help you assess are you getting value for your money. If not, maybe you want to switch countries. I don't think you're going to leave, but it, I think it's worth knowing. But equally so, if you know how much you're paying in tax, you know is it benef- how beneficial it is to put money aside and reduce that tax bill. And that's where your RSP comes in, Brittany. Uh, and that, that also ties into buying a house too. So when you save and put money into your RSP, uh, you don't pay tax on that money, so the tax is deferred. 
And you can actually take $25,000 out of your RSP once you've accumulated that amount and put it towards your first time home purchase. For your first time home buyers, which is, which is a good move. It, it, it's and one you that pay I, the tax on that later in life, right? Is so you have, that yep, it, that's exactly correct. So you okay. put in the money into your RSP. Okay. Uh, you can take out the $25,000, like I said, once it's accumulated. Okay. And then you have 15 years to pay back that $25,000 back into your RSP. So it's, it's a great way to um, get the maximum amount of purchasing power um, for that first time home purchase. But Brittany, I'm, I'm just going to throw some numbers on the table. I don't know what you make. And I, I used to work in radio, so I have an idea how much you make. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I remember, I can tell you a story. I, I remember hiring George Strombolopoulos to do two shows for me in radio. And you know, we paid two one-hour shows. One was a punk show, one was a heavy metal show. And for him to record each of those shows, I, I can speak out of school here. I don't care. I can do this. Uh, we don't work together anymore. <laughs> 50 bucks per show he got paid. George Strombolopoulos for 50 bucks a show. Could you imagine? <laughs> yep, and he did it because he loved it so much. That's right, and he paid the price. He, he, you know, yep. he was you know, younger in, in broadcasting, but I couldn't believe Radio it. Radio is a fun job. It's a fun oh. job, yes, it, it, it's a, it is a hobby. Um, but regardless, between your two jobs, you're, you're I'll just ma- tell you, I made sure. fifty grand. I was going to—I was going to yeah. say somewhere between forty and fifty thousand dollars. And so, making fifty thousand dollars a year, your tax bracket is, is, is already almost thirty percent. Yeah, I paid a hefty seventeen hundred bucks last year. Just uh, back. No, 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 no. You you paid like I paid on top uh, of on top of yeah on top of yeah. You, you didn't pay seventeen hundred last year, Brittany. No, last year you paid probably twelve or thirteen thousand dollars, maybe fifteen thousand dollars. Right, and, and if you put your money into that RSP, you you would be getting a portion of that back. So, so Brittany, you have you're allowed eighteen percent uh, of your income to go to an RSP. So if you make fifty, eighteen percent of that is uh, it sounds like eight thousand dollars to me, Jack. Uh, eight thousand bucks you can put into an RSP, which sounds like a lot of money probably to you, mm-hmm. but that would work out to what uh, call it 600 bucks a month 650 a month uh, which is about 150 bucks a week which is about 25 dollars a day that's not bad and it's I put not 150 bad into my tfsa now for the wedding so, so what my I, plan i'll tell you my plan in the next segment and you can tell me if i'm right or wrong possibly. okay that sounds good yeah all right more, uh, more more financial planning 101 for millennials get them out of bed they have to listen to this stuff if you want to get them out of your house on hi-fi radio right after this Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome back to the show. It is Hi-Fi Radio. Um, Brittany the Butcher our producer of the show uh, has taken over the tunes. Um, I think she's giving us some arcade fire there. It sounded, it sounded more like... Uh, uh, it sounded very 1970. It sounded a little disco to me. It sounded very 1970- David Bowie? No, no. It sounded more like um, uh, ABBA. It sounded oh, ABBA yeah. to me. Dancing Queen. Yeah. They ripped her off. Uh, sue them. That's what I do. I'm going to open up a legal suit here. Uh, I should become a lawyer. <sighs> the stock market thing, I'm, I'm going to throw in the towel, Jack. Moving on, too much too much bearish action going on here. Uh, by the way, Brittany the Butcher, and, and for anyone starting out in your investment uh, journey, uh, <laughs> first of all, this too shall pass, uh, and um, Mother, I was going to warn you that days like this come along. But the good news is things are on sale. Uh, so the way to invest in the market is continuously. Ongoing, you buy the dips. Continue, stay with a plan. You're going to make money if you do it over 30 years. Trying to get in, trying to get out, trying to time. Good luck. Chasing the latest fad. Uh, just ask people that were chasing Bitcoin. Pot stocks, Bitcoin last Bitcoin, year. Uh, pot stocks, stocks, yeah. 
Yeah, Amazon. Oh, I was the Amazon chaser. Sugar. I'm one of those victims. <sighs> yes, well, we're going to get through it. But, uh, Brittany, we're talking about your RSP saving. Uh, I know you have a plan. I want to hear your plan. I say, okay, you're going to put money to your RSP. Yes. If you put $8,000 in, as we discussed, that would be your room, and you file your tax return, you're going to get yourself a refund of about $2,200, $2,300. Uh, so now, now you have 8000 on RSP. The government sends you a check for 2200 bucks. So your 8000 now become ten or twelve, or now become it's over 10000 bucks. You can use the 2200 bucks and put that into a tax-free savings account and use that then for your home down payment. It's, it, I, personally, Jack, I don't know between you and I, but I, home purchase, very important. Tax minimization and RSP, those two parts are very, very important. So you want, honestly, you want to try to do both rather than one or the other. But uh, Brittany, what, what's your plan? So like I said, I'm getting married in May. So I've kind of just been focusing on paying for the wedding. So uh-huh. I've been putting 150 bucks away each week into my TFSA. Mm-hmm. I also, through the grocery store I work at, I pay into my pension and everything like that. So that's fine and dandy. I don't have to worry about that. Mm-hmm. After I get married, I'm hoping I won't have any debt at all. So my plan is to put like 50 bucks into a TFSA per week and then put the rest, the other $100 into an RSP. And if I can end up saving more, then I'll put that into the RSP. Um, so, so, Brittany, how much are you saving uh, per month right now or per year? Either or? Per month, I'm probably saving 600 bucks into my TFSA, but then I also have an ESOP, which is an employee share opportunity plan at my work. Yep. So I save around 200 bucks because they match. They give you, they match what you put in. Yeah. So it just depends on how much they're going to give you. I think it's a stock or something like that. Sure. <laughs> I don't know a lot about it. Yeah. But I'm probably saving around 800 bucks a month. Between bucks. the both. So that's good. So eight, that, that sounds to me like about 9,600 bucks a year. That, that's, about 15, that's about 15%. That's exactly what you should be doing, Brittany, in terms of your savings plan. So you are saving the right of... Look, if you can save more, that's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, a target is... To, you know, the, the, the wealthy barber always spoke about pay yourself first 10%. Uh, that was a good number. Others are saying 15%. Uh, so yeah, you're you're definitely on track. Uh, you're nice and young. That that's a good thing as well. The, the but, key there is, you know, and we, we see it with uh, a lot of people is, and it's just classic financial planning 101 is spend less than you make. Yeah, you, you you have to save something, and it sounds like Brittany's doing a good job of that. And then the second tenant of that is debt. You want to make sure that you manage your debt. You don't want to get credit card debt. You don't want credit line debt, which is going to be increasing as the Bank of Canada increases their rates. Um, you, you have to manage that side of the equation. Do you too. have any debt, Brittany? Just my credit card, which, uh, so I got a, we were talking off air, I got a line of credit this week. So I paid off my credit card debt with my line of credit because- And how much, so, and, and, so how much do you owe on your line of credit now? 2000 And how much do you have in your tax-free savings account? 2000 I would, because you know something, Brittany, you're paying that credit line 13%. Yeah. And you're making virtually nothing on the tax-free savings account. 13% of 2000 is, two, is over 200 bucks. That's true. So I would take your TFSA, pay off your debt, start clean. That's true. Start fresh. Start fresh. And you know something? You're only 25. What, what, what a better time to start uh, fresh? I feel so old already. No, though. stop with the old. Like I need wait, to wait, buy take, a house. No, you want to feel old, have three kids. You'll feel I old. I say go through a bear market, then you'll feel go, old. Go through a bear market, have some kids, and get a puppy. We got a puppy too to make oh. life interesting on our end. A lot of expenses. <laughs> uh we paid $2,000 for a dog. I can't believe I spent 2000 bucks on a dog. Then we went to the vet and bought the puppy package. Uh, I said, puppy, what is a puppy you package? You paid my one-month rent. I paid you one-month rent. <laughs> At least the puppy package was 900 bucks. Oh, wow. Yeah, that gets you two visits and... Uh, I don't know. A couple shots. Three, a couple shots. You get to throw them on the on the on the on the, on the weigh scale. And you're a butcher. You know what that weigh scale is all about. Mm-hmm. You're, you're weighing sides of beef all the time, I guess, right? 
Uh, Brittany, a real pleasure. Uh, I want to wish you well. Jack and I are going to be here to hold your hand, your financial planning hand, and, and we're going to guide you through your journey for the next 25 years. We're going to get you to the age of 50, at which point I'll probably be ready to retire. Uh, but that's okay. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to make you a multimillionaire. That's what we're going to do with you, Brittany. It's well, going to be, thank it's going to be you. a personal I'm glad objective to, have you guys. to make Brittany the butcher, our, our, our producer, the uh, the multimillionaire producer. The millionaire next Yeah, but door. you can be. You know, Honestly, you start young. The power of compounding is, 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 is the eighth wonder of the world, according to Sir Isaac Newton or, or, or Einstein. Einstein. One, one or the other. We'll put the two together. Uh, eighth wonder of the world is what uh, compounding is all about. Jack, good job as always, my good friend. Uh, and I want to wish everyone who's listening to Hi-Fi Radio a wonderful weekend. And we will be back with you next weekend. You've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, Portfolio Managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. We'll see you next week.